Hello, all my people out there in podcast land. This is Eric Krasno. I want to thank you for joining me on Plus One. Hope you all are safe and sound and hunkered down in your homes. I don't think I ever said hunkered down once in my life, but I've heard it so many times in the past month that it's become part of our vocabulary. Um, You know, I've actually been enjoying this time at home. I know a lot of us are going stir crazy and um, it's a crazy time, man. Artists are stuck in their studios though and we might get some really great creative output from this time. Um, Does not take away from all the horrible things going on, all the people getting sick, the people dying, obviously. We've actually lost some amazing musicians uh, in the past few weeks. Bill Withers was one of them, obviously. John Prine and uh, Ellis Marsalis. Wallace Roney, the great trumpet player. So it's a, it's a crazy time. Um, a lot of sadness. But also in this time, a lot of people are slowing down, shutting down in some cases, spending time with their families. You know, we spend so much time moving around, especially as musicians, that we uh, rarely get time at home. I know I haven't been home this much in like 20 years. And I'm finding myself having more conversations with friends. I thank God for phones and FaceTime. Not only having more conversations, but just more in-depth conversations. Obviously, this podcast But, uh, you know, we're always in such a rush to get wherever we're going. I find some value in in slowing down and spending some time on the phone with friends and family. And actually having long conversations. I haven't had hour, two-hour conversations like this in a long time. And it's it's been nice to connect with people and discuss ideas, compare notes on things that are going on listen to music to full albums obviously been watching a lot of movies um and there's never really been a time like this where people can be proud to sit at home and pretty much do nothing if they decide to as a musician i feel like i'm built for this um you know i love sitting around playing my guitar working on ideas without like a real deadline or timeline I'm not going to say it doesn't scare me, though. I've definitely seen some articles saying that concerts and festivals won't happen for a very long time. Meanwhile, a lot of artists are still performing from their homes, sending videos out and streaming. Last week, I was actually a part of putting together this charity concert celebrating Bill Withers, one of my absolute favorite artists and songwriters. So many musicians um, offered their time and made videos. Obviously, they love his music, but also to come out and support Sweet Relief Music Fund and uh, raise money for the crews and different people in the music industry that are out of work. And it goes across the whole entertainment industry um, and the food service industry. You know, everybody's out of work right now that I know. So um, it's just great to see people rallying for each other. Also want to give a shout out to headcount.org. Mark Brownstein and Andy Bernstein. Love those guys. Love all the Steens, but especially those guys. And uh, go over to Head Headcount and you can actually find out where to vote because a lot of people are confused on how they're going to vote right now. 
You can vote from home. All your information is there at headcount.org. Also want to give a shout out to Osiris Media, who makes this podcast happen. And they bring music fans closer to the music that they love. So my guest today on Plus One is a very, very special musician. Her band Krungbin is one of my favorite bands um, of the last decade. It might have been played more than any other band um, on my phone and various uh, music playing devices in the last five years. My friend Zach actually sent me the music in 2014, I believe, and people send me music all the time, but he sent me that and I remember putting it on and being like, okay, what is this? Um, their sound is so unique. I had to know the backstory. I started digging into it and uh, found out they were from Texas because I originally heard it and I thought they were from Thailand or, or somewhere. I just was really surprised to find out that it was a trio from Texas. And then the more I found out about it, the more interested I got. Uh, Laura Lee, who we're speaking with today, started playing bass only six months before this band started which is insane to me because she's got such a natural feeling on the instrument. Um, but not only does she bring musicality to this band, but um, she brings style and fashion and a look to this band that's really kind of made this band its, its own thing entirely. Um, and in the beginning, I really thought I was the only one that knew about this. Of course, I did turn a lot of people onto it over that year or so. But within a couple years from that, I started hearing them everywhere. And so many people I met loved them and told me, oh man, I turned this person on and I turned that person on to it. And uh, it became proof that you make really good art and especially in the internet age, people will share it. Um, without any sort of radio or huge media, they really got so far. And then obviously their live show propelled them into a whole other stratosphere. Now they're on tour with Tame Impala and playing Coachella. So uh, anyway, I'm just a huge fan. You'll hear me say super fan a few times in this interview, which is not something I say often. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome today's plus one from the band Krungbin, Miss Laura Lee. So you're safe and sound in Miami. I am safe and sound. I'm like getting back to my former love of cooking. Me too, um, actually. Me too. That's been kind of nice, right? Yeah, it's been it's been a really long time since I've had like self-nurturing time. Um, and it's funny because at the end of last year, I was really wanting to get in touch with the Laura Lee that isn't on stage. <laughs> and I feel like in this very roundabout way, I have received my answers. <laughs> like my questions have been answered. Um, and yeah, she's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's so funny because I literally just got off the phone with, with a friend and I was saying the same thing. It's like, I don't want to like seem super happy right now, but I'm a home and I'm like cooking all the time. I'm playing my guitar and working on like all the things, you know, you like kind of create a list when you're on the road. Oh, I just want to do this. I want to start doing yoga totally. every day. I want to start practicing, like singing with my acoustic guitar, writing again. And like, you know, so we're, we're a lot of musicians 
right now as, you know, obviously finances are rough, but we're kind of yeah. like going into the cocoon and, and creating and nurturing ourselves, which is. Totally. I'm, I'm happy within the context of, of what it is. It's sort of like, um, do I miss playing like performing big time? And I'm sort of, I've been watching probably a live show a day just to kind of have the whatever, get a little bit of the gusto, but at the same time, you know, it's sort of like <laughs> taking a hit of acid or something and you just have to kind of say, okay, well, this is it. So I'm in it and surrender to what the situation is because there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're just trying to find the silver lining in the madness. Yeah, but, totally. And you guys haven't had a break in forever, it seems. Yeah, right? we haven't. And we were supposed to have you know, sort of four months off this year. And then we took the Tame Impala tour, which was supposed to be happening soon. Right. <laughs> um, and then it brought it down to three months. And then we wanted to take more time for our album. So then it was two months. And, you know, then two months is never two months. And actually now, I don't know when we're going to be on the road again. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone does. Yeah. I mean, People are hopeful and we have holds, you know, in the year, but we're not counting on them. And we've kind of made plan B and C arrangements, uh, depending on what the fallout is. And I kind of wanted to get a little bit of context because you guys, I mean, I heard you guys probably 2014, well, a good friend of mine, uh, Zach, like sent me you guys right when it came out and I seriously played it for every like music friend uh that I had thinking that it was my own little like cool thing and then of course a few months later I was like everybody it's everybody's cool thing um but that's the coolest thing though yeah it is though um yeah I think like when I look at our fans I kind of feel like Everyone had their time with Krungbin when it was their thing. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people had it. And I think that even huge artists that I love, I've had my time with them in that way. Yeah, but you, I think you were at one of our, I feel like you were at one of our first New York shows. Yep, yep. I've, I've seen you guys a bunch. I, I'm, I'm a super fan. I saw you guys, uh, I think I met you, I can't remember which was first. I know I saw you in New Orleans at One Eye Jacks, which was a killer show. Um, I think that might've been the first time because then I hung out with you guys at Okeechobee when I was doing the, the super jam thing with Michael McDonald and that crazy band. Yeah. Like Solange. Yeah. Solange was on it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. did Mark and Mark, uh, your the guitarist in Krungman, Mark, he, didn't he play with Solange too? He was her musical director, like way back when. Right. Way back. Um, and sort of you know, way pre-seat at the table days. I think it was like two albums before that. You know, you hear some of your favorite bands and I was like, I wonder how this is going to, you know, translate live. And I had no idea what you guys really looked like or anything. And then when I saw you guys, I was like, Oh, this like is times 10. (laughs) Uh, when you see it live, um, because like obviously the look and the vibe on stage is that something that was kind of curated from the beginning did you guys 
think about that when you're creating the music, like we're going to have this kind of look and it's going to be this, this whole presentation on stage. The look of it came around the first show we ever had. Um, I think that the feeling that maybe some girls have about their wedding, I have about (laughs) a show in, in terms of, like outfit preparation. And I remember our very, very first show, we opened up for our good friend, Robert Ellis's record release in Houston. It was probably for like 400 people. So it was a big first show. And um, yeah, I spent, I remember spending like all the money I had that week or whatever on my outfit for the show because I thought, maybe this will be the only time we play. Cause you kind of have that mentality at the beginning. It's like, this is my, this is my time. And, uh, the look is important. I mean, I've always been into like Prince and Bowie and people that had this sort of glam rock thing, because I think it adds to the experience of a show. It's part of the show. And I think with Kringbin, because we were, a hundred percent instrumental when we started. I mean, there was no white gloves at that time. So right, it was like right. just instrumental. So the look was even more important in a way than it is now. And now the looks kind of stayed. Um, and then I think the other thing is when you're starting out and you're playing gigs like South by Southwest and you're playing with hundreds of bands and the people you want to notice, you are seeing hundreds of bands over the span of like two days. Um, what are you going to do? Yeah, how are you going to stand out? That's going to make you noticeable. And so I think people would walk by and be like, well, who are these dudes? And yeah, then yeah. actually somehow the sound matched the look. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and now it's stuck. And now it's sort of ever evolving, but also saying the same right right was mark always on board or was he was it really your vision as far as the fashion and the hair and the the whole thing i think i started it yeah um and he saw the effort that i was putting into it visually and when he saw what i was doing he's like oh i want to i want to get involved (laughs) um and now we each have our own thing you know and i think in a way what we are on stage is a reflection of, of who we are not on stage. Right. Right. I remember, I think it was at Okeechobee. I went to see you guys and I went back there and I was like, Hey, afterwards, like come into the, we had that rehearsal room or something. I was like, come meet us over there. And then you guys showed up without all your gear on. And I was like, wait, Oh, Oh, it's them. (laughs) It took me a second. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but yeah, I always, I, I, cause I didn't know what to expect seeing you guys the first time. And I was like, Oh damn. And the sound was just so on point and, you know, and, and the way you guys like just settle into the music and just like stay true to that vibe. And then as I've seen you guys evolve with the lights and kind of the whole stage thing, it's, I've watched it grow, but also it's really tasteful, um, in what you guys are doing. Um, yeah, I think there's something timeless and classic about lights, like music and lights. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be more than that. It can be. And I think, I mean, I've seen some incredible shows that use 
you know, more technology in their live performance, but it also makes it dated no matter what you do, because it, you know, it will, your year will show. Not that ours doesn't, but I think you use um, park hands and old school, like disco balls and park hands is basically our whole thing. I feel like that never goes out of style, though. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it will. But uh, I feel like it, it really works, especially with your guys' music. Um, yeah, and I had this whole, like, fish thing happen to me last year, yeah. which was really unexpected. I never saw them before. And then it turned out, one by one, I found out my entire team are just fish freaks. And oh, yeah. so I decided that I had to go, and then... I saw one show and everybody kept talking about how it's not just about one show. You have to see multiple shows. So I was like, okay, fine. So I went New Year's, saw three shows in a row. And the thing that I got out of it was like one of the things I got out of it was music and lights. Like that's really, that's what it is. They don't have gimmicks. It's sort of, I mean, the gimmick is, you know, them playing fish style, you know, but, um, Right. And changing up the music every single night, which I'm always like in awe of. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's their thing, but that's music. You know, that's just yeah, bare bones, sure. pure music. And then they've got their insane lighting guy and rig. But that lighting rig is still pretty like staying true to, to basic lights. So I found that aspect of their show really inspiring. Yeah. And Trey, at, at ended up sitting in with you guys, right? Or you guys opened for him, and I know some collaborative stuff happened. Yeah, there, he, right? he played with us at Locking. Right, um, right. I went to see him last year in between tours. I had two days off. I flew to Baltimore and saw him at Merriweather. Yep. And he found out I was there. His manager messaged my agent, asked me to come backstage. I didn't have the sort of starry-eyed fan thing because I didn't grow up listening or worshiping fish. Um, and my agent had been to, you know, over a hundred shows, never been backstage. So it was a real moment for him. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and we went back there and Trey asked to hang out with me the next day. We went out for lunch and I had just the most sort of inspirational chat with him. Uh, that was really unexpected. I absolutely loved the show. The whole thing was great. And that was Fish or that was Fish or Trey, Trey Band? It was Fish. It was Fish, right. It was right, Fish. Right, okay. um, and I asked him how he had found out about Krungbin because he talked about them a couple times and I'd heard yeah. that Fish had been playing Krungbin during their intermissions. So apparently his daughter saw us at Lock-In three years ago, four years ago. It was our very first us festival that we played right. and um so she all saw us there in the woods at like 1 a.m i think string cheese was playing on the main stage we didn't think anybody was going to come see our show but we ended up getting this amazing group of people that saw us play from like 1 to 2 30 a.m when nobody knew who we were right. and our very first tour that we did pretty much everybody that came to see us was either at Lock-In or heard about us through Lock-In. And so that festival ended up becoming a huge part of Klingbin history. And so Trey's daughter was at that show. She introduced Trey 
to Crumbin. And last year, it's like, well, we're playing lock-in again. Why don't we complete the circle and you sit in with us? And, you know, he sort of told me he was interested in it, but kind of played it cool. And then I think it was two days before the show texted me and was like, I'm coming in early. Let's do it. And it, it turned out that the Thursday or Friday, it was the first day of lock-in. It was a huge storm. Nobody was allowed in the festival site. Most people's gigs were canceled that night. But I think because Lockin found out what we were doing, kept our set, and we were the first band to go on. And so there was this really euphoric feeling in the audience just because they'd been waiting to see music. And then Trey came on and pretty much played the whole set with us. Wow. So Did he learn the songs and everything? Or did he just kind of find his spots and improvise? He found his spots. I mean, we kind of picked the songs that seemed suited to right. have an extra guitar. Right, right. Um, but I know at the end, we decided to play you know, an old school song we hadn't played in a while. And Mark was like, you know, stay around. You'll figure it out. And... Um, we don't, even though we have quite a few fans that are in the jam band community, we're not a jam band. And right. it felt like the first time we kind of jammed. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I know, it's so cool when one of those like kind of pinnacle moments unfolds. And it's cool is when it happens twice at the same festival. I know that like, in fact, I remember I heard about that a lot because I think I played the next day I was bombed. I remember because I had to fly in the day of, and I saw you guys were playing. I was like, shit. Um, but I heard about that, that set a lot. I think it was the year before we did like a lettuce set where we brought John Mayer and Bob Weir and all the, and we were doing like a dead or a Jerry themed set, but you know, it's like, um, locking. That's what I love about that festival is it like, it seems like they breed that kind of, collaboration and uh yeah i mean i i I know everyone in that world is a fan of you guys now because i hear it constantly wherever wherever i am i remember like probably a year after i you know was like this is this is my shit and i'm sending it to everyone i started hearing it in like every coffee shop too um just like (laughs) it was like following me around in the best possible way though i i think somehow on tour we've like avoided somehow hearing ourselves but the one place i cannot escape my own band is a yoga class i mean every yoga class i mean it comes on oh yeah i remember it in a yoga class too in brooklyn yeah and i'll be in it i'm like it's okay just don't like you know zone out (laughs) but it's hard to, to not be distracted that's so funny. Did you ever imagine like when you were starting this out that you guys would be playing these massive places and become this kind of, you know, cult <laughs> band? It's this weird thing because we get asked that and obviously, you know, the answer is no. Right. You know, we didn't definitely didn't expect that. But at the same time, I always believed in it that much. Right. And I wouldn't have pushed as hard as I did in the beginning to get the music out there. If I didn't think there was a chance of having some, some form of the success that we've had. Right. Um, I listen to a lot of great music and have been listening to amazing classic albums my whole life. And I still like what we do. And I still 
personally listen to Kung Bin. Um, right. I mean, I, I have, I don't get sick of it. I think that's a really important thing to say is that you don't get sick of that, of, of this music. I think there's a certain patience to it and I feel it kind of inspiring and bleeding into the jam band world in the best way possible. Cause one of the things that always annoys me <laughs> about the, I, I love the improvisation, but like a lot of the songwriting and, and it's too frantic or there's not enough patience in the music. Um, right. and, and I'm not pointing out anyone specific. I think sometimes I fall prey to that. And sometimes like in a live show, like soul live, we have some, a lot of the same elements of what you guys do, but there's a lot more going on, you know, at least in the initial recordings. And I wouldn't say it's directly, I mean, it's also like our age and different things, but I think that the patience that you guys uh, display in the music and also just really, really great choices that are hap- ma- being made there and, um, and a consistency um, and great melodies. Of course, there's a lot of things there, but I think that, um, it, it makes for music that you just want to listen to all the time. And sometimes it's just in the background creating a vibe and then sometimes you're cranking it in your car. Um, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm happy that it's become kind of ominous um, because I do feel it. And I also think there's a particular crowd that I hang out in, but also I'll, from my like hip hop friends to my like, you know, jam band people and anywhere in between, like they, they appreciate what you guys do. So it's, thank you. Um, I mean, it's, it's been an honor to see it grow in the various communities that it has. Um, I mean, Wu-Tang, what? (laughs) I know. That was so awesome. And it was on my birthday. Can you talk about that for a second? I'm really curious how that came together. Um, yeah, so I was at Pickathon. Uh, we played Pickathon last year, and after our set, I ended up going and watching a bunch of bands. Ended up hanging out, and I met this really cool dude with curly hair who um, took me to the sort of private backstage bar in the woods and ended up just going on this little adventure. And I wasn't in my Krungbin getup. So I I wasn't obviously Laura Lee. And I started talking about Krungbin. I introduced myself as Laura. And at some point, this guy, Phil, was like, oh, you're Laura Lee from Krungbin. It's like, yeah. And he's like, I, I own Desert Days. I was like, oh, cool. Like, thanks for the booking this year and the billing and like whatever. And he mentioned that he was going to try to have us open up the stage for Wu-Tang and would we be interested in collaborating somehow in the changeover? I was like, well, of course. But it just kind of happened in this passing conversation, partying at a festival after I'd played. As many things do. (laughs) As many, as many, many things do. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the festival came around. I mean, it happened really that day. Um, they sent us the song they wanted us to do. And it ended up being this huge win, not only, you know, for us personally, but also for Desert Days Festival, because one of the major headlines that came out of the festival was closing ceremony, Krutang. And, right. um, and DJ at like two o'clock in the morning after it had all finished, we were hanging out with Wu-Tang, which wasn't even 
a bucket list thing. It's like, why would you think that was on your bucket list? DJ pulled me aside. He's like, Laura, I know you made this happen. How did you do it? I was like, DJ, I partied. That's what happened. Like sometimes the good stuff happens, you know, in these little pockets, um, just from having a good time. Yeah. I can remember quite a few that have the collaborations that have been born in in those situations. Uh, Yeah. they're, They're important. Yeah, I think you and I are maybe. I, I maybe this is true. I, I'm I'm the one in my in Soul Live, which is also a trio that hangs out afterwards and like wants to go check out everything. Um, although yeah. I've seen the other guys hang, like Mark. Actually, we were on Jam Cruise together, and then we had that little Mexico uh, hang, and Mark was hanging around. Does he does he go out? Yeah, ever? I'd say I'm definitely the one that goes out the most. Yeah, like, nobody will argue with that. Um, Mark somewhere in the middle. DJ won't go out to hang as much, but he will 100% go watch shows. I saw him it's definitely like, on Jam Cruise checking out a lot of music and checking out yeah. drummers and like he's he's yeah. he's there for the music. As we all are, but Yeah, he's totally there for the music and I think on Jam Cruise the caliber of musician in general that's playing is pretty high. So um, that'll keep that'll keep the boys going. And was that your first Grateful Dead experience when we were in Mexico that time? That was, and I, I mean, I don't know what they call people like me whose first show it was. I'm sure there's a word. Oh, yeah. um, oh with the Mott with Dead and Company, it's a little different without Jerry. Okay, that's for sure. Okay, but you know, I was like floating in the pool next to some guy that was like his 300, you know, 50 something. (laughs) So he, he started talking about that. And I was like, Oh, this is my first one. I was like, Whoa. And then everybody started chiming in. Oh, it's my 175th show. Um, and you know, I love the vibe. I love the fan quality and the camaraderie. And I love the gift giving. Yeah. Um, I think in that the Grateful Dead and, and obviously Fish is carrying some torch from that thing. It's like the fans are so awesome. They're so happy. There's no bad vibes. There's just really happy people handing out stickers and pins and all sorts of paraphernalia to everybody else that's going. And I think that's the ultimate thing you can cultivate. I mean, we kind of fell into it. I mean, I think it's might be similar to, to Krung Ben. I mean, you never set out to be in this, this jam band world and not that you are exclusively at all. It's just kind of one of the pieces, but I know with soul live, when we put the band together, we never would have imagined being compared. I mean, I don't think musically we're really compared to fish or the dead, but the fact that we fell into this scene where the, where the fans are so diehard and so into it and they just support every move you make, even if it's completely outlandish. Um, yeah. It's a pretty beautiful thing. It is. The support within the jam community is so strong. I mean, definitely one of the strongest. Um, and it's, you know, there's, there's a crossover in the jazz scene, but yeah. the sort of less focus on the intellectual side of it and the focus on the having a good time side of it, I think creates for a really special crowd. 
Um, I need to fact check something here. Is this true that you didn't play bass like a, until a few years before the band started? About six months. Oh, damn. So, so you, but you knew Mark before this, correct? And I knew Mark. Yeah. And, and, and he, did he kind of put a bass in your hands? Is like, like, how did yes. that, how did that process go down? <laughs> yeah. I have been having dinner once a week with Mark and DJ, the three of us ah. for three, three years before the band started every Tuesday for three years, pretty much like every week. Um, it was after their church rehearsal, they would go have dinner and I would meet them. And usually on Tuesday nights, the bartender at the pub we would go to had really good iPod because <laughs> that's what we were using yeah, at the time, yeah. um, to DJ and we would just talk about music, but we were just hanging out and I was hanging out with Mark a lot. I was starting to play piano again, which I'd played a lot when I was a kid. And he, Mark gave me a piano lesson and the sort of lesson was listen to the song, follow the bass, where's the bass going? And somehow out of that conversation, I decided I was just going to play bass so that I could hear it better because I think, I think it happens now with sort of more of your average listeners. They don't actually hear it. You feel it, but they might not be able to sing the bass line unless it's super prominent. Um, and somehow that conversation led me to pick up his bass. And I started playing it all the time. And as he saw my interests grow, he would put certain records in front of me to learn to, which was mainly scientist records. Um, I was going to say, there's got to be reggae at the core of this, right? Okay. Yeah. And, like, I think about it now, it's genius as an ABC start to playing bass because they're simple in terms of how many notes you're playing. Right. And the progressions are really simple, but the timing is so specific. Right. And in that case, I do think, and it's funny, when you were what you were saying before about having to kind of look for the bass lines, I think reggae is the music where the bass line does kind of... Uh, in certain cases, lead the tune, you know? Um, totally. It's the centerpiece in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, and then, and then when you talk about dub music, the guitar is pretty much out. Right. So then the bass is really 100% the leading melody. So it's easy for me to pick out and play along to. And without me knowing, I was learning feel and groove quite heavily because of how significant that you know, a role that plays in dub and reggae music. Um, and Mark would sort of poke his head in while I was playing and he wouldn't tell me anything. He would just be like, is that where that note ends? You know, just ask me these little questions that would make me listen more carefully. Um, and he really guided my learning at the time. And then I guess about five, six months into me, learning bass, Mark got a gig going on tour with Yippa and opening up for Bonobo. It was a, it was a big tour, mm -hmm. like 2000 cap rooms. Yeah. Um, they needed a bass player. He's like, you can totally play this gig. He's like, I'll teach you all the songs. We'll practice. 
So I was teaching math at the time and I would come home every day and practice for hours. Tried out for the gig, got the gig, quit my job in the name of rock and roll and <laughs> went, went on tour for the first time. Um, and I wore sunglasses the whole tour right. because I was terrified. I would never been on stage, let alone played for that, you know, kind of audience. And I think it was, it was that tour that a made me realize I wanted to play in a band and I wanted to start a band because the whole, the whole experience of playing music, a being around music people and being on the road was awesome. And we're talking, this was like, we were in a minivan. We didn't have room for my bass amp. So I was going direct we were wow. squashed. We were in like one Motel 6 room for five people. You know, it was like that kind of touring. And I still loved it. <laughs> so um, I we came back from it. I asked Mark to start a band. And the, the two of us were going out to the barn. He was playing drums. I was playing bass. And then he would chop it up, play guitar over it. And then I told him he wasn't allowed to play anything but guitar because Mark's just, you know, he's, he's a guitar player. Right, for sure. <laughs> he's, he's everything, but yeah. it's too good. And so we asked DJ one Tuesday if he would join our band. And DJ had only played in church bands and done hip-hop production. So I think he thought it was this sort of funny, novel idea that he would be in a like a band band and uh and now and we joke around about that day all the time because i've pushed dj out of his comfort zone in every way being yeah. in this band so that day he agreed to being in my band was it was a lot more than he thought it would be right little did he know totally um and 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 does did he have that um again i keep using this word the patience before like was he was he like did he love just sitting in the groove for like as long as possible or did he have a lot was he using all the chops i know he has all the chops but he has that discipline of just staying right in the pocket and hitting the snare just right was he doing that from day one or was that kind of coached he was he was he was so he got that and i yeah and i think i mean if, if there was a coach it would have been mark but yeah i don't think mark really had to say much when got it. we were got it yeah, when we were looking for a drummer, Mark was very clear that he wanted it to be DJ because even though DJ traditionally plays keys and organ, um, he knew that DJ would have exactly what we what we needed and wanted for the band. Yeah. Um, and especially in Houston, where drummers are super prevalent. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of chops flying around. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I got lucky. I didn't really have any idea how good DJ was to play with because he was really the first drummer I played with. And right. I remember after we started, I started playing with various bands in Houston during my early bass playing days and realizing just how good DJ was because um, he lets me fall as far behind the beat as I want to sometimes too much, but he's, he knows that he's just supposed to stay. And if I want to play around with 
how far behind the beat that's my own you know decision he doesn't sort of follow me and was dj also like were you guys listening to records together because obviously you know there's this thai funk influence but i feel like there's influence from all over the place um were you guys sitting down and listening to records and and kind of you know creating this map from that or was it just once you started playing it was there I think once we started playing, it was there. I mean, and when we would go have dinner, there was a lot of James Brown right. um, playing. And we would certainly talk about that. And I would go see them play at church. So we would talk about gospel music. I think an obvious thread between all three of us is Marvin Gaye and D'Angelo. I think he's had a huge impact on all three of us. Outside of that... I think we all vary a lot in what we listen to. You know, I grew up on like Beatles and Pink Floyd and that whole situation. The thing that to me, everybody listened to, but it's actually not true. Um, And neither of those bands did Mark or DJ listen to. So I remember when we were first hanging out, they asked me to make them like a psychedelic playlist. I was like, I mean, sure, but actually these records are good and full, so you should just go on the ride, you know. Um, but yeah, I think we would talk about it, but it was kind of the band that let it happening. And I think the fact that I hadn't played bass before the band starting allowed for a real creative beginning for me. Um, it's sort of like Krungman has followed me as a player. Talk about the barn a little bit. So that's this is that's where you guys have created all the records, and it was it is like tell me about that space because I, I one of the things about your guys' records, I'm like love the sound and the production. I feel like I can hear the room. Um, yeah, is that is that yeah. like a, is that a thing? Tell me about it. It's a thing. Um, when I decided I wanted to start a band, we needed to find a rehearsal space. And, you know, I couldn't really afford an extra $400 a month on a practice space, especially because they were in these really loud warehouses where you're playing next to a punk rock band or a stoner metal band or whatever. um, And you're fighting for volume. And, you know, I'm a lady and I like a nice bathroom and there's definitely not nice bathrooms in those buildings. So, I wasn't super encouraged to spend my money on that. And Mark's parents, who've had this farm since Mark was a little kid, um, said we could use their barn because the barn used to hold tractors, but now there's cows on the property, so the barn was just a shell. And it became a cheap way, basically, to practice. So we would go out there and... We, we could, A, be as loud as we wanted, but more importantly, we could be as quiet as we wanted because there's actually a lot of noise out there. And, and when I'm saying noise, I mean like bees and birds and crickets um, and those beautiful sounds that nature provides that you can't hear in the city. And so I think, especially in the early Kringlin songs, when they're so spacious, um, part of that decision was because there were beautiful noises happening already. Yeah. So I think that the barn 
allowed for the space. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful place to write. You don't have cityscape clouding your mind with distraction or noise or whatever, and there's no Wi-Fi out there. So it's a real retreat, you know, opportunity to write kind of place. And do you, do you guys have stuff recorded now that is not out yet? Or where are you at in your album cycle? Yeah, we finished. We finished our third record. Um, and now, depending on what happens with the quarantine, we'll determine when it comes out. I mean, if I'm totally honest, the first single was already supposed to be out. But it's not the right time. Um it's a joyous album, I think. There certainly still are Krungbin melancholy moments, but there's a lot of joy in this record. And there's something that feels a little bit insensitive about releasing a celebratory song when people aren't quite there. Yeah, no, that um, makes sense. But yeah, we, we, we started it in the barn, as always. But I apparently had a lot to say um, on this record than I have before. And because there's a lot more singing on this record, we had to do a lot more work in the studio and than in albums past. Right. So I'd say there's less barn, even though the barn is still very much there. Yeah. There. Yeah. And the writing process, I think you and I discussed a little bit about this. You guys send tracks back and forth. Is that... Like before you go we, in the studio or, or, or it's a combination yeah, of that? It's not as then it's like not as sendy as it was because at that time I was in London. So that was the only way we could write. And now we really don't have time to write <laughs> because we've been on the road so much. So yeah. we do it in person and it's sort of like, I'll take one bedroom in the farmhouse, Mark will take the other and we'll kind of have like a little relay race of writing. Right. Um, and this, you know, particular one was hard. You know, we, we were grinding on the road and we booked the time out to go record, but we weren't totally in the headspace to write. It takes a while. I mean, I was just talking about this yesterday that when you try to book, you know, I have a studio at my house and I'm always booking all these sessions right between the days, you know, on the road. And you need, sometimes you need some time just to reset and recalibrate. After oh being yeah. Out there. Um, yeah. I mean the first week it wasn't a waste because nothing's ever a waste. Sometimes you have to go down the path to realize that path doesn't work at all. But right. you know, we didn't really get anything done the first week and then the sort of pressure sets in and you're also more dialed into the headspace. But I remember on one, one relay sort of race session between Mark and me, there was this one song we just couldn't crack. And he got to a place where he really liked it. He played it for me and I was like, Oh, I don't like it. And he's like, well, now you've cursed it. The song's cursed. It's over. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm cursing the whole album. The whole album is cursed, Mark. And, and I think he stuck his tongue out at me. And I, like, I don't know. We just sort of started making fun of each other in a way that 
lighten after many tears and frustration that happened. Um, but yeah, it sort of starts with a drum loop, um, some that we've pulled from classic songs, and DJ's also made me a bank of drum loops, his own drum loops, and then I'll write over them sort of freestyle and just press, press record for 30 minutes or an hour, and Mark will listen to that and pick nuggets of things that he likes and sort of arrange it into a song that he then plays over. And then we use that as a starting point right, right. to write the song. That's cool. That's cool. And you guys have a, a song out with Leon Bridges that came out. How, when did that actually come out? It was either end of last year or right at the beginning of this year. Yeah, Texas Sun. Is that part of a, a bigger project or is that just single? It was an EP that we did. Oh, I just well, oh, I did, for some reason I just thought it was that song. I got to dig into the. Rest oh yeah, of it. you should have a listen. The EP is really beautiful uh, as a as an EP. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah, we. How did I miss that? We were on tour with him at the end of. Oh, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> you're you're allowed to miss stuff. I, <laughs> I, I I certainly don't know. But like, as a super fan, I should know this. Oh. <laughs> um, it's cool though. Texas on is definitely. Like, I'd say each song on the EP is its own thing. So the rest of the songs do definitely do not sound like Texas songs. Gotcha, so it's worth, gotcha. worth a listen. Another Texas dude. So did you guys did you guys meet in Texas, or did you meet on the road? We met on the road. We went on tour with him at the end of 2018 and sent him a track, because he really liked singing over Krungman songs. So we sent him an original track. He sang over, sent it back to us. And then we we had this idea to put out like a seven inch, just do an A and B side. And uh, then our record label, his record label, heard it. We're like, no, we want an album. So we we worked so hard last year between tours, you know, like two days between tours, three days, go into the studio, work on this thing, um, made eight songs, and then I don't know, some stuff happened. They weren't going to put out any of it. And I, uh, I begged <laughs> by the end, I begged to, to put on an EP and it's really beautiful and I'm really proud of what we made. And I think working with a singer, especially a singer of his quality and having another texture alongside Krungbin pushed us for our own record when we got in the studio to do it because we'd worked so hard sort of on the arrangement aspect of that EP and the production aspect that, um, you know, it's like you, you do that on a collaboration you want to do it on yourselves too. So we spent an extra month in the studio in January to craft our album. And I think if it hadn't, if we hadn't done that Texas on EP, it wouldn't have pushed us the same. Cool. So I'm excited to hear that. And the next, the next step of the evolution of the band. Yeah, I feel really lucky that that came out before, you know, the current situation happened because it sort of had its moment um, before we were all in lockdown. Right. There's been a lot of artists that have put stuff out right as this was happening and it's, you know, dramatically affected. Yeah, well, in certain cases, oh, obviously it makes it so you can't tour behind it. So it probably is not the best idea to put stuff out 
now, but yeah. on the flip side, people are needing music, you know, and people are totally sitting around like creating content right now is definitely, although everybody's doing it. Um, yeah. It's also getting eaten up. Yeah. I was definitely like, as this started with like, people still need music. Our album's recorded. We should put it out. Let's figure out a way to have listening parties on zoom or like right. just trying to come up with a way to do it. And and then it was like, actually, maybe this is a time to just be patient. And the world has decided to put pause on everything. And maybe I shouldn't fight the current and just sit with it for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think like we said before, there's something to be said for kind of um, regrouping and spending a little time, you know, on ourselves right now. Well, I appreciate you talking to me and, making time for this. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's good to talk to you. Yeah. And if there's so much interesting stuff in here, I've just like, I feel like you guys are one of the most inspiring stories of the modern, like music age for me, because, you know, I always am like, Oh man, you know, in the current state, it's so hard to create a new project and really get it out there without like the powers that be. Um, and without, you know, this, that, and the other. And I think you know, the fact that you guys have, have broken through with such a unique, um, sound is really, uh, inspiring. So anyway, I appreciate what you guys are doing and I'm so like happy to see the success, um, that it's reached even, you know, and I'm sure there's Thank a lot you. more. I feel really proud to stand along to friends and musicians, um, with such integrity and amazing character and in their musicianship and and also as people. So it's a real pleasure to do the whole whole thing. Um, And I'm really great to talk to you and thank you. Yeah, definitely. And I hope that this passes soon and that I get to hear this album sooner than later. (laughs) Me Uh, too. When we finished it, I was like, oh shit. Like... Let's just enjoy this time where this album is just ours yeah, before yeah. it becomes the world. And now I'm like, oh, right. It's, all, it's still ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully it comes out and hopefully I get to see you guys uh, in person and sometime soon. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Talk to you thanks soon. a lot, Laura. Bye. Okay. Bye. Once again, I want to thank Laura Lee for joining me on the show. Now I'd like to play one of my favorite Krungbin songs. This one is called Maria Tambia.
Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time.